Okay. I don't know if anybody um, watched news this week, but um, it's been a doozy. Um, I, I, I felt like I couldn't um, do my next sermon in my Nehemiah series this week because I felt like you guys would just be completely distracted by everything else that's going on and wondering was why I wasn't addressing what's going on. And so I want to take a, a break from that this week and, and, and deal with another passage of scripture that I think is really apt, really appropriate for, um, for the times that we're living in right now. Um, I have been, Jamie and I were talking about this last week. We were both kind of the same thing. I've been in tears on and off, um, uh, you know, for the latter half of this week, um, you know, having conversations with people, just kind of processing everything that's going on. Um, I, whenever I get a little bit of alone time, the other night I had to run an errand, got in the car, and just just started weeping. It was like my first moment alone since a lot of this uh, these, these horrible stories um, and images that we've been seeing. Um, it was the first time I had a little bit of time to really process it alone. And um, I know this. Uh, there's a lot I don't know, and I'll fully admit. I know this. I'm, I'm heartbroken for our country. I mean, I'm, I'm literally, my, my, my heart is just broken for our country. Um, I love our president. I pray for our president. And I know his role as our leader is, is to, one of his roles as our leader is to uh, help with the morale of the country and to keep people encouraged in tough, tough times. And I, he, he released a statement yesterday from where he was that, um, you know, that, that America's not as divided as a lot of people think. And I, I think he's saying that because he's trying to lift our spirits. But you and I both know the truth. We are very divided as a country. I mean, it's painfully, painfully obvious. Um, and so I want to address that. And my hope this morning, I hope you guys know this, that whenever I preach, uh, I'm receiving all these words that I'm speaking as much as I'm sending them. Like God uses me to speak to me <laughs> um, just as much as he uses me to speak to you. And so my hope this morning as we kind of dive into uh, a kind of an obscure piece of scripture is... Uh, that you'll leave here both encouraged and challenged. All of us would leave here both encouraged and challenged. Um, I learned a long time ago through just through the way I was raised, through through different people I was blessed to work with over the years that um, things are very rarely in in life black and white, like crystal clear, where you can just jump on one side or jump on another side and feel like life tends a little bit more towards gray than I think a lot of times we realize. And just because I look at one side of an argument and tend to sympathize with one side or the other, or one side more than the other, does not mean there is um, no truth in the other side of the argument that we have to, uh, again, Jamie and I were talking last night about, 
you know, a lot of times when we're counseling, especially couples uh, who are in conflict and really struggling uh, to to be gracious towards one another, to to be productive in their conversations or in their arguments towards one another. Um, one of the things that we, we often tell people is that, you know, his or her, your spouse's perception in your mind might be completely off base and completely wrong, but you still have to deal with that perception because if you don't deal with that perception, you will never be able to move forward. You may think it's completely unbased and they're just thinking wackadoo about the whole thing. But if you don't at least pause, take a big gulp and swallow your pride for a second and just say, okay, I need to hear why you think the way that you're thinking. Tell me your story. Tell me what has happened in your life that has led you to the positions that you hold now. In marriage, if you can't do that, then it's then at times it is almost you reach a stalemate and it's almost impossible to move forward. I think we're at that place also with our country as well. When we're talking about uh, I, I, this issue and the way it's portrayed by the media is, are you for, you know, the everyman? Or, are you, or do you stand with um, the police or the government or whoever else? And again, it's not that black and white. It's just simply not that black and white. Um, you can stand for all. You can stand for truth. And truth is no respecter of, of race or creed or your employment or whatever truth will find roots in all ground that's fertile. And rather than us taking a position of, I stand with this side or I stand with this side. I think that we, as a church, we have to be ferocious about standing with the truth, even when the truth is uncomfortable for us. Cause oftentimes, as you well know, God's truth is often uncomfortable for us. Um, God has said many things to me over the years through his word that I did not want to hear. But truth is truth. And part of living and existing as a follower of Jesus Christ is living in that posture of submission to God and his truth, even when it makes me uncomfortable. Even when it makes me uncomfortable. Um... This is what I know. There's a narrative going on in this country right now that is not the right narrative. It's an us versus them narrative. It's a, um, it's a, it's a narrative that sweeps all cops into one category and that sweeps all black people into another category or whoever into another category. It's, 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 it's these sweep, it's a sweeping language. It's, it's, and it's not, a, it's not a healthy narrative. And we have to get to the truth of the narrative. And I think our call as a church, as the church in America, and I want us to be a people who embrace this and lead in this as living hope. I think our call is to get to the true narrative. The true narrative. To stop picking sides and instead just speak the truth. 
and to help other people hear that truth. Not only from us, but from each other. I think that this is a, as painful as all of this, all of this has been, I think there is a beautiful opportunity here for the church to bring healing to our nation. If we will do the hard, here's the thing about healing. It's never easy. It's not easy to be a healer. It requires us to be selfless. It requires us to sacrifice for the sake of those who need to be healed. It also requires us to make sure that we ourselves are healthy. So it's not easy work. As God's work is very rarely easy work. But it's definitely worthwhile work. I want to tell a story uh, that I thought, again, was just really appropriate for this time. And it's, it's, a, it's a story from the Gospel of Luke. Before you put the, uh, the slide up there with the scripture, let me give you the background of what's going on in this with Jesus. This story, this particular story is only recorded in Luke's Gospel. A lot of times the, across the four Gospels, there will be crossover with different stories. They'll, they'll tell the same stories because, you know, they're telling the life of Christ. And, you know, they all knew the stories. They all saw, you know, a lot of them saw what he did. And so they're going to tell similar stories. Um, this one Luke only records, and I'm going to venture to say that for a lot of you, it's one of those past five verses. And for a lot of you, it's a passage of scripture that if you've been, if you've read through the Bible, you might've just kind of glossed over it. And in the back of your mind going, went, I kind of wonder what that meant or what was the significance of that story. And then just kind of kept reading. I, I, would, I would venture to say for a lot of you, you've never heard this passage preached in, in church because it can be a little bit confusing. Jesus' message and, and his cousin, uh, John the Baptist, their message when they kind of came on the scene as prophets was this message of repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repent. God's kingdom is here now. And the idea of repentance. Now, we, we have taken this idea of repentance and we have uh, kind of theologically turned it into something that I don't think was ever intended when Jesus and these guys were preaching this message of repentance. We have taken this word repentance as to kind of say, get your life right because God's doing, a, doing something new here. Uh, or uh, Jesus in this passage that we're going to read, his, the phrase he uses at uh, this particular situation is that uh, repent or you will all likewise perish. And so we, we, when we hear repent and we hear perish, we theologically start to think in terms of get your life right, get saved, or you're going to hell. Get, get with God, get on his plan of doing things, or you're going to go to hell. And, we, we, we kinda, and, and again, I don't think this is what Jesus was saying. That Jesus' message of repentance, I think, in a lot of ways, was a very political message, a prophetic message to, um, the, to the Jewish people. And what Jesus was doing when he, when he came on the scene was he was redefining Israel. And he was redefining um, the kingdom. And he was saying that the story that you guys have been telling yourself, the narrative that you have going on in your national story is one that God is going to, you know, we are in exile. We are, uh, we are, you know, in exile spiritually. We're in exile 
physically because the Romans have kind of conquered us and we're living under their regime and that sort of thing. But one day, someday, God is going to send a Messiah and that Messiah is going to bring us to power again and he will lead us to freedom and he will lead us to a spiritual renewal in our country and that sort of thing. What they weren't expecting, we've talked about this before, what they weren't expecting is that the Messiah God would send would be himself. They weren't expecting for the Messiah to be God. They were just going to be this great king who would lead them to a, a season of prosperity and power and that sort of thing. And that's what they were looking for. And so as they're living under Roman rule, and as the Romans are controlling everything, calling the shots and abusing them you know, militarily and all kinds of stuff, as they're dealing with that life, they're telling this story of one day, just wait, it's going to happen. And one, God's going to set everything right, and we've got to fight the power, and we've got to do this. And so, so all these little cell groups would, 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 would crop up all throughout, and you know, they would uh, uh, you know, just be violent towards uh, the Romans. They would try to uh, you know, uh, ambush them. And, and so there's these little cell groups that are trying to resist you know, the authority. And Jesus' message over and over, when you read the prophetic message of Jesus Christ, the, the way he would speak to the Jewish people, his heart was broken for his country. There's one point he's looking out over Jerusalem. He's like, he's weeping for Jerusalem. He's like, I wish I could just gather you all together. I wish I could get you to see what I'm trying to get you to see. And he's saying, when he's saying repent, that word repent doesn't mean, which maybe when you were a kid you were taught this, the, the word repent doesn't mean tell God you're sorry, admit that you were wrong and tell God you're sorry. The word repent means change. And Jesus was saying, you need to change. You need to change the story you've been telling yourself. You need to change the narrative that Israel, if you want to be counted as Israel, it's not because of who your parents were and who your grandparents were and your great, 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 great grandparents were. Israel is though, are those who are faithful to me as the Messiah. He's redefining Israel. His call to repentance is to quit worshiping Israel. Quit worshiping the story that you're telling yourself and redirect that worship and recenter your faith completely around me as the Messiah. Repent, change, change your way of thinking, change your way of acting, embrace peace. Don't embrace the sword. If you embrace the sword, you'll die by the sword. He's constantly giving them these warnings. He's giving these, these prophetic warnings about, you know, this whole temple is going to crum, crumbling down, you know, and, and I'll build it back up. And, he, and there's double meaning there. He's talking, he's talking about himself being raised up after he's died, but he's also foreshadowing what's getting ready to come in just a handful of decades. In the year AD 70, the Romans would come into Jerusalem about 35 years after Jesus died. The Romans would come into Jerusalem and completely sack that city, tear every single building down, tear the temple completely down, and basically completely in that act in AD 70, completely destroyed the Jewish system of sacrifice. It hasn't recovered since. And Jesus is seeing this coming. He's saying, there's going to come a day when you're going to run for the hills and, you, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and it, he's prophesying that this is going to happen. And he's saying, if you guys don't back off of this, we got to beat Rome mentality and instead embrace a mentality that centers your faith and your hopes and your dreams around me and what I'm spiritually getting ready to do for the entire world. You're going to find yourself in the wrong story. It's not going to go well for you. It's not going to go well for you. And this is kind of where we, 
meet Jesus in this very short story, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. If you're using one of the Bibles from the back, it's um, page 872. This is what it says. There were some present. <coughs> there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So this is what's happening. Jesus is out doing his Jesus thing. And, and a couple of people come to him and they, they give him an update. They give him, they let him know of, some, of a current event that has just happened, some news from across the, the city. And they said, Jesus, you're not going to believe what's happened. There was a group of Galileans that went to sacrifice, went to worship their God. And Pilate sent soldiers and killed them by the sword. Their blood mingled with the blood of the sacrifices that they were trying to give. And the, obviously, the Jews are outraged. They're trying. They're just trying. They're trying to be, you know, God loving, God worshiping people, offering their sacrifices. And Pilate sends people. A, a Roman official sends people to to kill them. Jesus's response is that his response is, "Oh my gosh, that's awful. It's not that." His response is. It says this, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? So, so, so what story are you telling yourself right now? Because one of the stories that they would often tell themselves is that when bad things happen, it was probably because you sinned. It's probably because you were, uh, you know, doing something wrong and you probably deserved for this to happen to you. Jesus is, follows that up and he says, no, I tell you. No, they weren't worse sinners than the rest of you. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He's not talking about salvation and he's not talking about hell. What he's saying is, unless you change the story that you're telling yourself, unless you get off these political bandwagons and, 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 and rewrite the narrative around me, unless you change, unless you repent, then you can all expect to die by the swords. When he says, likewise perish, he's saying, just like these folks perished. Unless you change, unless you repent, unless you center your life and your faith around me and around the kingdom way that I'm ushering into the world, unless you get off this bandwagon of hating the Romans and just trying to destroy them and battling them at every chance you get, you'll probably all die of the sword. And then he goes, he tells, he brings up another story of current events that we don't know a whole lot about. It's the only uh, real mention of this that we have kind of historically. And he says, were those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Um, this, the tower of Siloam was at this tower. It could have, might've been like a watchtower or something that was there in the city of Jerusalem. And evidently this tower had come down and killed 18 people, crushed 18 people. Most scholars believe that most likely this was just some sort of weird, tragic accident that happened. Uh, but it could have been, since he ties it to the side of the story, it could have been involved in some sort of act of rebellion. We don't know. But regardless, a tower came down, buildings came down, stone by stone, and crushed and killed 18 people. Were those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? He says, again, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Do you think those people that had the building fall down on them and crush them, do you think they were somehow worse than the rest of you? No, 
They didn't deserve this any more than you deserve it. However, unless you change, unless you begin to tell a new story that centers around me instead of some sort of military power and conquest and that sort of thing, unless you change the narrative, you can expect a lot of stones to fall on the rest of you as well. Again, he's foreshadowing what's going to happen a few years later. I feel like that we're in this similar situation where I think Jesus' message to us today is examine your narrative. And if your narrative doesn't center around my kingdom and me, then you might get caught up in all of this that's going on. And I think his message to us today is very similar. You need to repent, even believers, even all of us, you know, that are trying our best to live for him and, you know, here in church on a Sunday morning. Repent, change your actions, change your conversations, change the narrative that's happening around you, or you'll all likewise perish. That's a really hard word for us to hear because if you're like me, I like to be right. Like I really enjoy, does anybody enjoy being right? Like it's a fantastic feeling, is it not? It's just a great, great feeling. But I think the times that we live in are transcending our right to be right. I think we need to start telling a different story. And I think the world around us is starving for a different story. Starving for a different story. So this is what I want to challenge you to do. We're going to close this out in just a few minutes. I want to challenge you right now to do the opposite of what Rob told you to do. Put your phone aside. Nobody check Facebook because it'll just make you mad anyway. And um, I want you to focus in on the words I'm getting ready to say to you. I'm going to say some challenging words. And I'm going to tell you this, that it's so easy. Um, What I want you to do is I want you to take your eyes off the national problem and instead do a self-examination of your personal role either in this problem or your personal role in bringing healing to this problem. It's so easy. I can, I'm going to say some things and it's going to be so easy for you to go, amen. They need to hear that. Like it's, it's so easy for us to see the fault in others, right? It's so easy for us to, to, you know, point out bad criminal behavior. It's so easy for us to point out um, wrong ideas and wrong thinking. What I want you to do is put all that aside, put other people out, and just for the next few minutes, ask God. In fact, pray this prayer with me right now. God, would you just speak to me with these words right now? Speak to me. What is it you would have me hear? I'll trust you to speak to everybody else who needs to hear their part, but God, would you speak to me right now? So, How can we as a church be change agents in this national problem? How can we as a church, individually, collectively as a church, how can we bring about change? Because I don't know about you, but I want to. I'm tired of the current story. Tired of it. It's breaking my heart. I'm tired of my heart being broken. How can we be change agents in this? 
So I'm, I'm going I'm to single out a few groups, and I'm just going to give some advice. I'm going to offer some suggestions for how you can be a change agent in this. These suggestions are not the be-all, end-all authority in this. In fact, if you think about this and pray through this, you, there's a strong chance you'll come up with far better suggestions than what I'm presenting to you now. But I'm just going to offer some suggestions. You take that and what you feel like God is calling you to internalize and apply to. Listen, you can't change anybody else. All he can change is you. We, have, we are powerless to change people. Only God can change people. But you do have control on your decisions and your thinking. So internalize this. Ask God, what does you want me to hear? All right, so here's my word of how for either law enforcement or government authorities can be change agents in this. My first word is this. Um, the vast, vast majority of people who serve us in law enforcement are unbelievable people. Good people with character, with integrity, selfless, that put themselves in, the, in harm's way for us multiple times, every time they go to work in ways that we are completely unaware of. The vast, vast majority. As much as there are pastors who are bad apples, as much as there are, you know, politicians who are bad apples, I'm confident there are also cops who are bad apples. Why? Not because they're cops. Because they're human. Because every career field has its bad apples. Everyone. And cops are no different. But the vast, vast majority, like you've heard me say before, are there pastors out there that are out there for money and stealing people? Yeah, I hear them on the news, but I've never met one. I've never met one. All the pastors I know are good, God-fearing people that just want to serve him. Are there bad apple cops out there? Yeah, we hear about them on the news occasionally, but you know what? I've never met one. Never. Never met the bad cop. Do they exist? Sure. I'm sure they do. I've never met one. And they deserve our support. And they deserve our prayer. And they deserve our encouragement. And they deserve to know that we don't hate them and that we stand behind them. My message to law enforcement is this. Persevere. Persevere. Um, Maintain your current high standards of personal integrity and conviction and character. Maintain that. And set that standard for everyone around you as well. Demand that standard for everyone around you as well. As a pastor, when I find out about another pastor who is abusing the flock that God has called him to keep and to lead and to protect, I'm out in that pastor. I have zero tolerance for that. And I'm saying, law enforcement, maintain your high, beautiful standards and demand it of everybody else around you as well. Know this, that we are behind you and we love you. We are heartbroken for you right now. We support you. 
And the loudest voices are not normally the majority. They're just loud. Take care of your families and take care of yourself. Be brave enough to reach out for help when you need it. And you will need it. There's no way you can't need it. And educate the rest of us in the struggles that you experience on a regular basis. And own your own weaknesses. Because we all have them and there's no shame in it. Own it. For families of all races. I'm not going to single out black people this morning. Because I think these things that I'm getting ready to say apply to all of us. Raise your kids well. When did we stop raising our kids well? Raise them well. It's hard work. And they'll hate you for it, but they'll come back around. Raise them well. Be their parent. They've got plenty of friends. They don't need you for a friend. They need a parent from you. Teach them submission and respect. Teach your kids submission and respect. Model for them submission and respect. These are qualities that are not high qualities in our culture today but we need to rediscover them. And good Christian families can lead in this way, no matter what your skin color is. Teach your kids submission and respect. All of us need to crush the glorification of thug culture. It has to die. And this is not a race issue. This has got to the point to where it transcends race. And I see just as much thug culture amongst white kids and white young adults as I see among black kids and black young adults or Latino kids and Latino young adults. Crush thug culture. It's embarrassing. It's destructive. And it never ends well. And you might think it's all innocent and it's just a phase and they'll get through it. I'm telling you as a parent, when you see it crop up in your kids, destroy it. Do not let it happen. As parents, we need to exemplify the value of truth, not just the value of getting out of trouble. What would it look like if instead of, as a parent, instead of you defending every situation your kid got into and trying to get them out of the consequences and out of the trouble. What if you stood side by side with their teacher, with their principal, with law enforcement and said, you're getting what you deserve. You're reaping the rewards of the choices that you made. And I wish I could take this from you. I wish you didn't have to go through this. But it's best that you go through this. We have, re- we have lowered the standard of truth to where parents will lie. They will tell all kinds of lies about, oh, my kid would never do that. In the meantime, they can't control them and everything they say about them is negative and, and they're lying to them and they know it. But they would never do that to anybody else, right? 
And so we have lowered the standard of truth and we have raised the standard of do whatever you got to do to get your kids out of trouble. Let them experience the consequences of their choices. Be there to support them and to love them through it. To help them learn from it. And then for all of us of all races, educate us on your struggles. Educate us on your struggles. Own your weaknesses. If you as a family have weaknesses that you're contributing to this problem, own them and destroy them. If, if, you, if you feel like your particular race is ha- having problems that it needs to step up and own, then own them and destroy them. Be honest. Be truthful. To our church. To every church. We need to foster peace and we need to foster healthy communication. When I say we need to foster peace, I mean we don't need to be the ones that are adding to the division. Rise above it, regardless of what your opinions are. Rise above the division and be a change agent that would bring peace to an unpeaceful situation. Sacrifice yourself in that way. We need to listen and we need to respect people with different perspectives than our own. Nothing ever moves forward. Nothing ever changes until the person across the table from you feels like you're actually hearing what they have to say. You may not agree, but hear it and respect it. Don't be the ones that are antagonizing the arguments. Living Hopers, would you just do me this favor? Would you stop with all the extreme right-wing things that you post on Facebook and the extreme left-wing things that you post on Facebook and instead just decide, even though maybe you agree with that meme, you agree with that statement, if you know it's going to stir up the hornet's nest, make a choice instead. How can I... How can I foster peace in this instead of just stirring things up? We need to be as a church intentional and strategic about building bridges and living out the gospel in our community. This is why I I can recommend to you the work that Phil is doing and uh, with with so much confidence and so much joy because he is leading us in this ability to go out into our community and build bridges. You don't like what you're seeing coming from a particular people group, whether it's a, uh, you know, a, maybe a particular race or a particular socioeconomic group or, or a, a cop or a politician or whatever, then get in there and do something to make a difference. Love those people in a way that will bring them into a greater sense of truth, that will bring them into a a, a, a life that you know is healthy and God-honoring and God-glorifying. Love them actively. Get into their lives and help lift them up. If all you have to bring to the table is gripes and complaints, just keep it to yourself because you're not helping anybody and you're making the church look bad. We can do better. I mean, I believe our nation can do better, but I know we as a church can do better. Amen? We can. It's time to change the narrative. And I want us to set the pace when it comes to that.
So step up, serve, and love, and be agents of peace. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And um, I ask that you would help us to change the stories that we're telling. To show respect and to love to everyone else around us. To call out falsehood when it's false and to call out truth when it's truth. To abandon our kind of ingrained sensibilities towards not speaking truth because it's not politically correct or whatever else. Instead, just in love, in love, speak truth in a way that will lift people up, not tear them down. I know we can be that kind of church, and I know you know we can be that kind of church, God. So move us into your truth. Move us into your story. God, I pray that you would use Living Hope to rewrite the narrative. The last thing I want for us, for all of us, is for us to perish in the same way that we see people perishing all around us. Help us to center our lives and our faith on you, not on political figures, not on some sort of worship of our country or some sort of worship of people who are similar to us. Instead, just help us to center everything on you. You are good and you are God and we love you and we commit to follow you in this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for listening. Have a good week.